Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hey, friends, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Today, we're going to talk about wine and building community for your nonprofit, but it's more than wine, it's really good wine. And we're going to touch on branding. How do you stand apart from others? And uh, Russell, how are you today out there in, in Aurora, Colorado? How's your day going? It's a, it's a great day. I'm having a great day. It's a wee bit nippy for these parts, but we've had some up and down temperatures, but nothing a little glass of wine by the fire can't cure. Oh, no, so let's, let's get on into this. Russ Halleck is the founder and uh, principal everything at the, at the Halleck Vineyards in uh, Sebastopol, California. So, Ross, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Well, thank you, Hugh. I appreciate your invitation to be here with you today. Ross and I met each other a number of years ago, and he had this bottle of wine in his hand, and he taught me how you should really taste wine, and there's a whole routine around it. But then we started talking, and actually, uh, a couple of years ago, he had an article in the Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine about the work he's been doing with charities, helping them raise money through a very different program. But before we get into that, and, and also I've sat in classes that Ross has taught people about how to create a world-class brand. So everything we do for a charity needs to represent our brand and be quality and faithful, authentic to our brand. So let's, let's throw it to you, Ross. People don't know who you are. And so who is this guy who has a vineyard and does these wine tastings? Tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, first let's give people a, a, a sense of where Sebastopol, California is. So we are uh, in Sonoma County, which is north of San Francisco, and a little bit um, and a little bit west of San Francisco, and people think of San Francisco on the Pacific Ocean, but actually California continues west and north, and we're further west than San Francisco, although we can see and we can see the ocean from from our property. And on the other side of the property, we look out over uh, Sonoma County into Napa Valley. We're at about a thousand foot of elevation, and um, you know, I moved to Sebastopol about thirty years ago. And it surprises me now, and I think that. And I was a um, uh, an immigrant, if you will, from Silicon Valley. And uh, when I was in Silicon Valley, I had gone to school at uh, UC Santa Cruz, and I had I helped with a whole bunch of other people birth, um, you know, Silicon Valley from what was previously the um, Santa Clara Valley, or uh, which was primarily known for apricots. In fact, my first job in Palo Alto, California, was uh, uh, selling fruits and vegetables at a fruit stand on the El Camino Real. And in a, in a very few short years, um, Silic- uh, Santa Clara Valley became Silicon Valley with the, the, uh, with the, I guess, the introduction of high technology uh, uh, at that time. And I was going to school and at UC Santa Cruz in marketing and branding and uh, graphic design. 
And so uh, Silicon Valley is one of those vortexes that just sucked up anybody that had any modicum of talent. And I started a little business that grew to be quite a sizable mid-sized business um, supporting uh, high technology companies in uh, developing their brands. Now, coincidentally, I also had a passion for wine. I, I, I like to say I chose wine as my drug of choice in my mid-20s. And so uh, because uh, branding and graphic design and marketing communications is you know, what I would describe as a horizontal discipline, I got to pick whatever I wanted to work on. And so I chose the wineries in Sonoma and Napa counties as target customers. And so I developed a practice in Palo Alto uh, that included both uh, the wine industry and high technology industries and uh, pursued that for uh, almost 25 years. Wow. And so when did you start Halleck Vineyards? Well, it was kind of in the middle there. Um, in about 1990, you know, I was working, uh, I was going back and forth between Silicon Valley and uh, the wine country, uh, servicing my clients. And, you know, I certainly had fallen in love with wine. And I, and I thought to myself, well, I could either live in Silicon Valley and commute to wine country or live in wine country and commute to Silicon Valley. And I had this little house uh, in Menlo Park, California, that was persistently and consistently rising in value uh, as a function of the growth of Silicon Valley. And I thought, well, maybe I should move to wine country and commute back. And uh, so I was able to buy this, you know, five acre property with a house plopped in the middle of it. It had been vacant for two years, uh, surrounded by, um, you know, just untouched land and uh, elected to roll the dice uh, in a place that had never actually been uh, a wine country. The vineyards had not been planted here before and plant a backyard vineyard uh, in about 1992-93. And then, um, uh, lo and behold, uh, well, the vineyard produced fruit, but it took much longer than expected. You know, I, I planted the vineyard with this sort of lofty or sort of fanciful notion that I could, uh, that it would be a college fund for my then infant son. So I moved here, got married here, had my first child here, and then uh, it ended up taking six years for that vineyard to produce a viable commercial crop. Um, fortunately, I had a job <laughs> because they were lean years uh, watching this thing grow. And uh, by the time it produced fruit, I actually had three sons. So the, uh, the, the idea of it being a college fund seemed uh, very, very remote. Um, but you know, I thought I could make backyard garage wine if I wanted and in the very best possible circumstances that I could sell the fruit and you know pay for the agriculture wow so you grow a particular kind of grapes mm -hmm. what kind of grapes do you grow so we planted a pinot noir vineyard and uh again there had never been pinot noir has a reputation of being a very difficult crop to grow but since i had never grown anything before i had nothing to compare it to and it, you know, I loved Pinot Noir, so it seemed like if I was going to live on a vineyard, I would live on something that, a grape that I enjoyed. And um, so uh, we made wine from that first vintage, and um, I call it the vine intervention. Uh, we won number one Pinot Noir in the United States with that very first vintage. Wow. 
Wow. Now, this is, um, people will be watching this video live, but they'll also be um, listening to the podcast as a replay. And um, so I'm going to show a picture here, but people on the podcast will have to go to the nonprofit exchange to be able to see it. But we created a page for this interview. And there you are, um, if you can see the screen, there are you in front of a bunch of bottles with things hanging on them. What are those things hanging on those bottles? Well, those are awards. And we've been quite, um, uh, we've been quite fortunate, you know, to have won a lot of awards. In fact, in 2019, just a couple of months ago, we won number one Pinot Noir in the United States in the largest competition in North America. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle uh, wine competition. There were 7,200 wines competing. It's the 40th year of the competition, and we won number one Pinot Noir, not only with one wine, but with two wines. So we won the two top tiers. They're, they're, they're bracketed by price. So we won the two top price categories for Pinot Noir. And then we, with the third, we won a double gold, which is second place. And that is the first time in the history of the San Francisco Chronicle that we have, um, that anyone has won that level of, of uh, recognition. And, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm cautious about um, being prideful about it, you know, because honestly, this isn't something that I strove for. It's not like an athletic event where you've got times you can shoot for, you can work out, you can change your diet, you can change your workout regimen, you've got a target to shoot for. I mean, we've just really just been making wine that we like. And fortunately this year, a lot of other people liked it too. There were 50 judges involved in this award and the, um, the uh, likelihood of any wine on a blind tasting, make it to, making it to the top, like number one, only one wine is, is, is given best of class, is, is highly, you know, you can't write an algorithm for it. Uh, and, uh, and to have two wines hit that, uh, that status was, is, uh, well, we're, we're, let's just say we're very grateful that this has happened. That's different from grateful, Russell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's sort of like the vine intervention. <laughs> the vine intervention, yes. And, and, and being grateful. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so you are, um, I, I don't think you're, a kind of guy that brags a lot. You're a guy that states the facts. And you also uh, have shown a real heart for, for um, giving. And you do a lot of work for charities and you do wine tastings. Now, it's mutually beneficial. You're promoting your brand. It's H-A-L-L-E-C-K Vineyard. Um, is that the URL? Is it hallickvineyard.com? It is. And without an S, by the way. Thank you for being articulate. I am articulate. Sometimes I'm right. <laughs> and, and, and enunciating. <laughs> Articulate, enunciate, pronounce. Okay. So you have done, the article you wrote for our magazine was about how you help charities raise money. So talk a little bit about that work. Now, you are promoting your wine, but you're also promoting the charity. And we'll go back to branding a little bit, but I want to, we can't separate anything we do from our brand. And so when you come in, now this wouldn't work for a very conservative church because they don't wave at each other in the liquor store. So um, we'd have to, we have to find uh, like an Episcopal church or a community foundation or some 
community local charity that welcomes people to where we can we can share the the fruit of the vine and have fellowship together so talk about the funding piece but also you the title is wine and community so kind of deal in, dig into that a little bit well you know our our tagline is building community through wine and so i think of that is kind of a three-legged stool so the first leg is um, we're a boutique. We're a very, very small family winery and we don't have a tasting room. We don't have people who are hired on commission to sell wine and, and, uh, and so um, what we do is we invite people to my home. And so when they come to Halleck Vineyard, they're literally coming to my house, sitting in my dining room, overlooking the vineyard and I'm introducing, to our wine, in, introducing them to our wines. And it is really a, um, more of a tasting seminar and a and a uh, a community experience, if you will. It's 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 not a sales event. Um, the second leg of that stool uh, around building community is shared experiences. So we have have what I call um, our inner circle, which is our wine club, and um, it um, and I create events around the country, around the world that I share with our wine club and uh, that include our wines. And that has included uh, safari to Kenya, uh, wine and wildlife safari to South Africa, to Cuba, Honduras, Italy. Uh, we do multiple trips to New York. We do twice a year to New York and we either go to a Broadway play or do a vintner dinner. Um, we've been to the, the Iwani Hotel, or which is now the Majestic in, in uh, Yosemite National Park. So we create events uh, that money can't buy, to, and, and that you know contributes to this this sense of community, building building community through wine. And then the third, which you've referred to a couple of times, is philanthropy. And there is a joke, which is more of a truism than a joke in the wine business. And it goes like this. How do you create a small fortune in the wine business? The answer is you start with a large fortune. <laughs> yes. And uh, we didn't do this. Uh, we, we bought this house. It was almost in probate. And every year has been, you know, one foot in front of the other, put a little here, put a little there. I mean, 30 years it's taken to grow a, a winery that, you know, we produce maybe a thousand or 1400 cases a year. It's very, very small. Um, and, but we've had this, um, deep desire to give back and we weren't of the set that is common in the wine industry where we could write big checks. So what we've done is we've taken some of these experiences that money can't buy and we auction them off for our, for the charities of our wine club members. So if you're a member of our inner circle and you have a charity that you care about, then we will raise our hand and we will create one of these experiences, whether it's um, a dinner in your community at the finest restaurant serving our wine and, and we bring our wines and we help host the event, or it's going to see Josh Groban on stage in, uh, on Broadway uh, where we saw Natasha appear in the great comment of 1812 and Josh joined us after the show. We will create an experience money can't buy. And in the last 10 years, we've raised probably three quarters of a million dollars for um, a whole range of charities. And so that third leg of 
building community through wine has been probably the most meaningful for us and equally the most supportive of our business because I believe strongly that this private public partnership is critical to everyone's success. And so I think that the most effective way of building community is by joining others. And so that's what we've done through this, um, through this program, I call it, of, of creating experiences at Money Can't Buy and, and uh, auction them, auctioning them off for the charities of our members. That's amazing. Um, do other wineries do this kind of thing or is, is this unique to you? Well, I think there are other wineries that do this kind of thing. I don't think it is a focus of any other winery that I know of. Um, it, you know, we didn't invent the wheel here. Um, I attended many auctions and, and uh, have been invited to many auctions. And it was um, really Jennifer, my ex-wife and partner, who came up with the idea, well, let's create, au let's create auction lots and uh, offer them to our wine club members to benefit the charities they care about. And we started doing that probably about, oh, uh, about 12 years ago. And um, it's become now a cornerstone of our business and actually has expanded to include, now, uh, to include making wine for uh, one particular charity that um, has taken our model to a whole other level. And, and um, I'm very excited about, uh, about that and what we're doing. In fact, um, it's with Josh Groban, as, as you'd mentioned earlier, and, and I'll be with him next week, gosh, this week. On, on May 4th, for my fourth time with him on stage, we'll be auctioning off a wine that we make with him called Find Your Light, which is named after his foundation to benefit arts education in the public schools in the United States. That is such important work. And um, I've been a listener to his music for years, and he's, he's quite a celebrity. Um, so you dropped the number out there out of thin air. You've helped charities raise 375,000, somewhere in that ballpark? Three quarters of a million. Three quarters of a million. Oh, 750. Yeah, 750,000. That's a few dollars more. Um, so um, there's several several spokes, and I'll, I'll give Russell a chance to interject here in a minute. He He's a good observer, and he's also the guy that asks the really hard questions, so watch out. Um, can I, uh, you and I have started a preliminary discussion, and I think we have some energy around you coming to my part of the country and doing this with a music organization. Is that, can I share that with Russell and maybe the world here? Certainly, certainly. It's, uh, it's, it's in its nascent, nascent stages, but I have no doubt that it will come to fruition. Well, and you're a guy that pulls things off. I know that, and so am I. Um, um, Russell knows that I'm coming on as the- Our clothes on for this, though. Sorry? <laughs> Just kidding. You said you're a guy that pulls things off, and I said, we'll keep our clothes on for this. Oh, I see that. Don't, pull, <laughs> don't, pull that, don't go that far. Um, um, so uh, I'm coming on as the president of the Lynchburg Symphony Orchestra, and I, we're starting to consider the idea of Ross coming to help us do a Vintner dinner. And by the way, the, uh, the general manager of the Hilton Curio here in town has done these in many other venues. So he, he knows how they work. So having a partner knows how they work and um, is, willing, is ready to talk about it. And we're also gonna talk to you about how do we fine tune our brand. 
And this is an area that, that I find most nonprofits have a, a vacuum of knowledge with their branding and why it's important. And it's a key component to everything we're talking about. What are you known for and why in the world should people give to you? And when they come to a vendor dinner, well, it's going to be fun, but how do we then show up as representation of our brand? And the piece that you're talking about in this interview is the, the relationship building piece that's so key. And so getting people on our boards, getting people to volunteer, getting people to say, ah, I want to support this with my time, my talent, and my donation is a, is a key component. So we're in the preliminary stages. He's going to be on this side of the country um, in the young in the old mountains here in the Appalachians. He's going to be down in <laughs> and down in our our part of the world. And we don't have an ocean to look at, but we got a lot of really pretty mountains to look at here, Ross. So we uh, we'll treat you good. But we're I love that part of the country. I've traveled. I've driven all the way through the Appalachian Appalachians. Well, the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway is thirty minutes from my house. Maybe maybe twenty seven. But we're, we're talking about some of this advance. We're going to move to the next place in building community, not only amongst ourselves, but with those people in the community that want to f support the arts. And we do have a, a, a very rigorous plan coming in place for arts education in the schools with the, with the symphony orchestra. So that's a whole initiative we want to put some energy behind. So um, I'm going to pause for a minute. Uh, Russell, what are you hearing so far? And, uh, do you have some questions about this building community and about the social event around the Vintner dinner is a little different than a wine tasting. It's a whole evening experience, which is important. Or about branding. Or about branding. Yes. Well, you know, our friend Daniel Lebo talks a lot about that, about creating an experience for people. And that's what draws them to you. And it's really critical to have a good brand that really resonates with people to talk about who you are and finding out what matters uh, to them. And talk a little bit uh, about how you go about uh, uh, drawing people into this. They, they start out in your wine club. How do you go about finding out what sort of charities they're interested in and getting that conversation rolling? Well, it's it's pretty upfront and straightforward. Um, our wine club, which we call our inner circle, has a page on our website and it has a list of benefits. You know, some of those benefits are free tasting at my house. Some are, some, one includes being able to stay on the vineyard for a night a year as our guest. Uh, it includes bringing friends to the winery to, uh, for, for, um, for uh, barrel tasting. Uh, and it also includes if you, you know, I don't have the exact words in my head, but if you have a charity that you care about, um, we will host an event to benefit that charity. And that ends up being one of the key reasons many people join our wine club. Of course, they have to love our wine. And, but I'm not um, uh, ignorant or shy about recognizing that wine is a commodity product. Uh, there are just thousands and thousands of wines out there to choose from. And I think it's just table stakes that people like our wine. And, and I'm appreciative that they do and, and it, uh, it separates us from the ones that they don't, but it doesn't separate them from the ones that they do. And there probably are a lot. 
uh, and that's the beauty of wine is it exists everywhere in the world and there's uh, many, many choices. So one of the ways we differentiate ourselves is by saying, what do you really care about? And let us help you, let us support you in, um, in, uh, in, 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 let us support you in that. And so on our list of benefits is if you have a charity, we'll do an event. And uh, our wine club members reach back and they say, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and figure this out. We have a, an auction coming up or we have a, an event coming up and we would like to uh, include a vintner dinner or a, uh, a trip to New York or a trip to Africa or you know any of the things that we do as part of our everyday doing business uh, as part of their uh, fundraising efforts. Yeah, and it, it looks like excellence is built into everything that you do. That doesn't hurt your brand and attracting people to you. And so when you talk about experiences that money can't buy and you walk into a charity, uh, they've probably done other fundraisers before, but when you start planning with a, an organization that you haven't come in contact with, they're brought to you by one of your members, uh, how do you communicate uh, the process? So how do you go about showing them how to uh, run through a process where they create an experience for people? I know each organization is a little bit different. So how do you coach them through that process? Well, again, it depends on the experience we're offering, but let's, let's use the Vintner Dinner as an example because it's pretty, um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the first thing we ask is, do you have a, uh, someone in your organization that is connected to or, want, or, uh, or to a great chef or a great restaurant or is one of your supporters a great chef or a great restaurant? And if that is the case, and it's very often the case that you know many charities have people who care deeply about them. It's the it's the wondrous part of being um, in this country. Actually, is is how much private you know participation there is in in uh, charitable organizations. Then um, I ask for an introduction. And I get on the phone with um, the chef or the restaurant or uh, the restaurant manager and, and, I, and I send a list of wines over and I have tasting notes that I've developed. And uh, they send me a menu often of what they'd like to prepare and we, we talk back and forth. I sometimes send them wine. If I'm in the neighborhood, I will drop in and we will do a tasting or they will come to my house and we will do a tasting and we will, we will um, create. It's, it's really like, you know, rolling up our sleeves and, and saying, you know, how can we create an, a, an incredible experience for, for, for ourselves and for, the, for everybody involved and uh, make the world a better place at the same time? I mean, you just can't get, get a better scenario than that. We're all smiling all the time. And, um, you know, we create a menu. We create the pairings. Uh, we, um, we, we often auction these off at, with no, uh, no date associated with it so that the date is um, agreed upon by all parties. Because whenever it's a live auction, you know, assigning a date to something, it limits the number of people that can participate. So if you don't put a date to it, a lot of people can, can bid. And then it sort of ends up being, you know, sometime in the next year, 
let's pick a date. And if it's, you know, if it's in North or South Carolina, um, I will fly there. And um, if it's, if it's, you know, anywhere in the country, I will fly there and I will send the wines and uh, you know, and the chef and I will host. So it's really about with what you do with, it's a very personalized experience. So the space that you're in has an energy to it. And that would be the same for the people that are running the charities that you work with. Talk about some of the ways you help them to create that sort of atmosphere around the places that they work and come in contact with people so that they can strengthen their connections with others. Well, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I've, I've uh, as a vintner, engaged in that activity. But as a brand strategist, I have often uh, participated in that um, in that task. And so I think what's important to, un to, to clarify before I answer that question is to um, make sure that people understand what a brand is. Uh, it's, it's a word that's bandied around quite a bit. And, you know, uh, Hugh was mentioning that nonprofits, you know, are you know, have often little clue about what a brand is, but I would go so far as to say that most people in any line of business, in any activity, have very little understanding of what a brand is. And one of the things I have the privilege of doing is, is, is teaching at Sonoma State University in their wine uh, business program. They have an MBA program for, for wine professionals. And I asked that question to, to these people uh, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, there isn't a response in the room. So it isn't just nonprofits who don't know what a brand is. So for the sake of this conversation, I will um, articulate what a brand is so that people have an idea what we're striving for. So um, does, that, does that make sense as the next step in this answering your question? Oh, most certainly. Okay, good, good. I don't want to be running down a rabbit hole and, and oh, I, that's not what you meant. Okay. So um, anyway, uh, a brand is very simple. Uh, it's, it's difficult to execute, but it's a very, very simple um, concept. A brand is simply a promise. And so the important thing about that word promise is understanding what you are promising and to who. And it's not an easy task to uh, distill uh, what any given organization, whether it be nonprofit or profit, is promising to the people who are critical to their success. And those people who are critical to their success, I describe as their target audience. And so um, articulating and enunciating <laughs> what that promise is, is, um, is the work of a brand strategy. And it's not an, it, and it usually takes the form of maybe four or five sentences, you know, two or three. Um, it has several components. It, it has to um, touch on what your core values are and, and, and consequently align with the core values of who your target audiences are. It has to describe a benefit that you're going to provide to them. And it has to describe a way you're going to deliver that benefit that is unique and compelling. And so when I, 
take the word promise and then put it into those three categories, you begin to start to understand, you begin to understand how difficult it is to achieve those few sentences. And um, I have, over the years, uh, I have a workshop that I do with, with um, profits and non-profits alike. I've done it with as large a company as um, Agilent Technologies and HP, and as small a companies as the Legal Aid of Sonoma County or the Sebastopol Center for the Arts. Um, and, uh, and it is a full-day workshop to uh, get under the skin or under the sheets of, of, of articulating what this promise is and getting everybody on the same page of delivering that promise. And once you have an understanding of what you are promising, um, that, oh, how did you describe it? Um, that uh, Elan, that, 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 um, that spirit, um, I, don't, I, I don't remember, Russell, what, what the word that you used to describe this, this feeling of, of engagement, of, of excitement, but well, that comes out. <laughs> well, there, there's an energy field in the energy, space that, that you, you create an energy field around your cause that resonates with people, and having the right partners is critical to that. And a, a big piece of community building is, is bringing on the right partners, whether they're in the form of sponsors or media or anyone, to create a win-win type of uh, uh, scenario for everybody. Uh, mm -hmm. That's important, but it, it, it's important to be clear about what resonates with everyone so that you put the right people together. Uh, having, yeah. have, uh, it makes sense to have a restaurant and a winery uh, work with a charity, but that doesn't necessarily mean because you have a winery and a restaurant that there's that synergy there, that right connection or the right energy field around that event or around the charity. So um, talk about how you, uh, and I'm sure you get a lot of opportunities and people approach you a lot to, to help with these events, but Talk about some of the criteria that uh, that you use to try to look at whether something will be a good fit, and uh, and how you might make adjustments in in the in the if the if there isn't a good fit. Well, we don't have a lot of criteria for it being a good fit. Um, I mean, there are some, but the first criteria is that you know who's ever approaching us is a member of our wine club. Right. So, I mean, right then, you know, like we're family, you know, like you're supporting us. We want to support you. It's a reciprocal, you know, it, it, it's, it's an unspoken reciprocal um, relationship that we have. And we're really, you know, happy to to. Um, and, and then from that point, uh, there is there is one criteria. It has to be a live auction lot. So we don't we don't uh, contribute to silent auction lots. We have found that um, silent auctions. Are, are, are while they're maybe effective for um, you know in, in in a modest way for for charities that they end up being a place where people are searching for bargains and um, we find that live auction lots often go for more than face value and because of that energy field that you're talking about and so um, we're really looking for that energy field and 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 live auction lots you get a lot of uh, parts that are working together to get people excited. And uh, there's a number of, of particular 
tasks that are required to achieve that energy. And in the case of um, a nonprofit, for instance, in, a, in an auction, um, we ask that they cultivate their, um, their donor base. So we don't like showing up at a live auction and it's the first time people have seen it. You know, when we put together an event like with Josh Groban, uh, when we brought people to New York uh, for the, um, to see Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812, it was for a charity in Southern California. And the organizers of the auction knew many of the donors and spent the week before the event uh, taking them out to lunch, taking them out to breakfast, taking them out to coffee, whatever was appropriate, and saying, hey, this thing is going to happen. You need to be a part of it. And doing that with two or three people. So that by the time we got to the auction, when that slide went up, and I was in the auction and I was able to get up and talk a little bit about it to sort of create that energy. There were already people that were teed up ready to bid. They didn't know each other, of course. It was, um, it was, um, it was, a, a, it was a fueled event. And that's what, where we can create the greatest value for all parties is um, where, where there's a lot, where that energy field is, is, is cultivated. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. In your business, you've got a, a built-in tribe. And so what's the message that you have for other businesses as far as making an impact in their community to go along with their monetary bottom line? They may want to get into uh, doing some type of support for a charity event. So what are, what are some key things that you tell a, a business owner that wants to do this type of thing? that they need to put in place and do to make sure that they start off well and that they become effective at it? Well, I think that you're, I love the word tribe. And um, I think that to be in business, um, you said, well, I have already a tribe. Anybody in business has a tribe. You know, those are the people that are supporting you. Those are the people that, you know, have have chosen you out of the many choices they have to do business with. And that is your tribe. And they, and th there's gratitude that is associated with that. And there's also um, uh, a recognition that as, as, as having a tribe, that there are certain social responsibilities that go with that. And so, um, you know, it, it, I think that given the state of the planet and the state of the world, the state of our government, um, and the, um, the shift from, uh, I wouldn't say the, the shift because I can't speak too specifically about it, but it feels like there's been a shift from um, uh, social responsibility on the part of government to a required social responsibility on the part of the private sector. That in order for us to have a world that we want to live in, that we have to be giving back. And I just think that um, we all need to recognize that. And in fact, when we do recognize it, um, our tribe becomes even more supportive of our private interests, our business interests. And so it is, it's, a, it's again, that, that word, it's reciprocal. 
Yeah, I would go a step further and say even that given the, the, the climate that we're in uh, globally, not just here in the United mm -hmm. States, that uh, we're in a place where it's all hands on deck. And no, you know, profit making businesses, nonprofits, the government, uh, nobody is set up specifically to really deal with all of these problems. So it, it's, it takes more collaboration and partnerships uh, and hybrid types of structures. I mean, we're seeing new business structures pop up everywhere to deal with social problems. It's actually very exciting, but uh, we have to get pretty creative about it, I think, and be more effective with the resources that we use because, uh, you know, we've thrown a lot of money at some things and they haven't shifted a lot. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, all I can say is that um, I can only do what I can do. And uh, we've, um, you know, we're, we're a very small organization. We have to be surgically precise in how we um, extend ourselves. And uh, um, I wish I could write the big checks. So this was just, this is just a way that I could leverage the resources at my disposal to make an impact. And uh, it's, it's grown considerably over the years. Uh, it's become a cornerstone to our business. And uh, it's, I may have said this before, the most meaningful part of my business. Well, um, and I, th I think, Ross, you are making an impact and you're allowing other people to write checks. So in the aggregate, you're having a, a pretty large impact. And Ross, I appreciate you bringing up that shift, or no, it was Ross, the shift in social impact, you know, social responsibility. You know, we want the government to do everything when really the business sector needs to step up. And the, uh, the uh, we call it for purpose, the tax exempt business sector, we call nonprofits, which is a stupid word. But um, you're, you're, it's a call to action. I, I think what you're doing is teaching people that there's other ways to build relationships and to bring value to each other. Um, you've, you mentioned um, we're, we're two-thirds of the way through, and I want to get a couple of other topics on here. And Russ, those are really insightful questions. Thank you. Um, I have to work really hard. To, to, he doesn't show me up too badly. <laughs> um, well, this isn't a competition. That's what, no, it's all – it's, it's a conversation. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you raise raise your value by hanging around people better than you, which isn't hard for me. So I'm in good company right now. So. Um, Ross, you, you mentioned Josh Groban and his work. You guys connected at some point in history, and you've, you've done some work. He was, had an interest in wine when you, you first met, and then mm -hmm. you worked with him and his charity. But talk a little bit about that relationship and the things that you've done or are doing. Well, that has been um, – I mean, we began this, this idea of working private-public um, long before we met J Josh. And um, – Josh actually found out about that, but uh, initially he just tasted our wine when he was in New York uh, performing on Broadway. And I got a call that, you know, asked if I wanted to make wine together. And, you know, my initial response was, you know, we're, you know, we're a small family winery and making a Josh Groban celebrity wine is kind of not on our roadmap. And, you know, his response was, hey, no, I don't want to make a Josh Groban wine. You know, I want to make a Halleck Vineyard wine, but I've read about what the things that you do. And, and you know, I want to work with you in creating a wine for our 
for my charity called the Find Your Light Foundation. I said, well, that's interesting. What does the Find Your Light Foundation do? And he said, well, we fund arts education in the public schools in the United States. And that's all I had to hear. I said, I'm in. I have three sons. They're adults now, but they're all artists. They're all working in their fields. Um, they all went to public schools. And some of those programs that they were the beneficiaries of now, they're only in their mid-20s, um, are gone. And uh, it was a very short, you know, uh, sh and a very dramatic shift in public education in the last 10 years. And so uh, this felt very close to home, very close to family, and like just something that we would be, we, we, we could, you know, um, hook, our, hook our wagon to. So um, as it happened then, Josh, uh, you know, we became acquainted. He invited me to New York. Um, I go to New York anyway. And so we, uh, he offered me tickets to see him on Broadway and offered us producer seats on stage to see this uh, performance called Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And uh, I just put the word out to my wine club members, hey, we're, we're, we're going to New York, who wants to come? And those tickets were snapped up in like, like immediately. And then uh, one of my wine club members said, hey, listen, we have a, a gala coming up and I'm wondering if we can get some tickets to go with you and, uh, and uh, auction them off at our, at our fundraiser. And so I asked uh, Josh's management if I could have a few more tickets for yet another charity. And they gave us um, a half a dozen more tickets. And with those tickets, we raised another $10,000 for another charity entirely. And they joined us at the event. And, and uh, actually, that was the first time I actually met Josh in person, was in his dressing room uh, backstage after that show. And then he came and joined us after the show. So uh, with that, um, he came to Sebastopol and, and, and we made wine together and we created a, a blend. Um, and so this is, this is a fun story and this, is, this sort of brings us to full circle. So uh, indulge me just for a second. Um, he, he picked this barrel out of all of our barrels. So we, we, when we make wine, uh, we have different vineyards that we purchase fruit from. And then we make wine out of that fruit. We keep them in separate lots. And at the very end, we blend them to see what's going to go in what to make what bottle. And Josh was there and we said, listen, let's go through all the barrels we have. I think at that time it's maybe 30 or 40 barrels. Let's taste them. Let's talk about them. You can pick any one and we will um, use that as the base wine for your Find Your Light Pinot Noir. And he picked this vineyard. Um, that uh, we'd never used for making a single vineyard wine before. It was just a, a small two acre vineyard behind this guy's house named Peter. Um, and uh, we'd been buying it for a number of years. Several people had owned it over the years. The most recent guy was named Peter. And um, his last name happened to be Haas. So we called it Peter the Haas Vineyard. But we'd never made a Haas Vineyard wine. It was just a hodgepodge vineyard in the backyard of some guy. And so um, anyway, he picked that vineyard out of all of our barrels and we were thrilled because it didn't take really out of any of other programs. So that was like kind of good news for us, but we, would, we were happy to do whatever he wanted. And then I called Peter that evening, maybe it was the next day. And I said, hey, Peter, you know, I, I thought you might be interested. And I've met Peter one time before he'd come to my house and he'd purchased uh, uh, wine for his daughter's wedding. 
and he wanted wine that had some of his fruit in it. So um, I, I called Peter and I said, hey, Peter, um, you know, I thought you might be interested. There's this young man here uh, named Josh Groban who uh, selected your vineyard to make um, wine for his foundation called the Find Your Light Foundation. And I actually hadn't assumed that Peter would have heard of Josh Groban. And to be perfectly honest, I hadn't heard of him before he called me. And, um, you know, I'm not a music person. And uh, uh, I expected him to ask some questions about Josh and some questions about uh, the, the Find Your Light Foundation. But instead I got, come on. I go, what do you mean, come on, Peter? He goes, Josh Groban was at your house? And I said, yeah, Josh was here. I go, you know of him? And he goes, oh my gosh, like he's one of the most incredible voices of our time. He can sing fluently in four languages. He's a phenom. And he's, 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 making, he's using our grapes to make wine for the Find Your Light Foundation. I said, Peter, you know what the Find Your Light Foundation is? And he goes, well, yeah, I know what the Find Your Light Foundation is. And I go, well, how do you know that? And he goes, well, we have a little foundation of our own. And I thought, um, uh, and, and I'm familiar with other, other foundations uh, in our space. And I go, well, that's so sweet, Peter. You have a little foundation of your own. What's, what's your foundation called? And he goes, it's called the Haas Family Foundation. Well, when I heard that, being from the Bay Area, like my jaw dropped. I said, Peter, you're that Haas? Because I've heard of the Haas School of Business, and I've heard the Haas this, the Haas that. It's not avocados, folks. Um, and he says, yeah, we're, we're, we're that Haas. And, and so for those who don't know, the Haas family um, founded and continues to own uh, until I think just a few weeks ago, they, they went public for the second time. Uh, Levi Strauss. And so the Haas family foundation is hundreds of millions of dollars. And one of their primary focuses is the arts. And so Peter asked me, he said, might you have the opportunity to introduce me to Josh and Jake, the executive director, uh, because we might want to participate a little bit more than just providing grapes for this project. So I um, said, well, gosh, it just so happens that next month we're attending this gala at the Ritz-Carlton in Half Moon Bay, south of San Francisco, and Jason Mraz is performing, Josh is performing, some of the young people who are beneficiaries of the Find Your Life Foundation are performing. You know, we have a couple of tables, why don't you join me as our guest? And I can, I'd be happy to introduce you. Well, Peter says, well, that's very kind of you, Ross. Um, I look forward to seeing you there. We'll pick up a table. So he bought the platinum table. I won't tell you what that means, but he bought a platinum table, sat next to me, and I introduced him to Josh and Jake. And um, he's going to be with me at this weekend. He bought another platinum table, and they're in discussion to how the Haas Foundation may participate in funding uh, the Find Your Light Foundation. And that all started from a little vineyard in my backyard. And so I am eternally grateful for having been in this uh, unusual and synchronistic position to connect this, these two people who are doing such great work in the world. You are um, an amazing connector. And ever since I've known you, you, uh, you look at possibilities with people. Um, I, I'd like to do another show um, sometime in the future, Ross, about branding and the importance of branding. And maybe even um, if you want to invite Josh or Peter Haas, talk about social responsibility with you. you know, how do we create social responsibility um, through our work as business owners 
and how do nonprofits, you know, approach that topic with the businesses that can make a difference? Is that something that, that you said is shifting to the business community and they're making money now and some of them don't know how to leverage their financial assets to the benefits you're talking about. Um, so um, bring this back full circle. Um, how difficult, how complex, you're talking about a vintner's dinner and a chef and an auction. How difficult is it for a charity to pull off one of those events? Well, I think auctions are a big deal. Um, now, I have never organized an auction, so if I would be speaking out of school to suggest that I could answer that question, um, uh, you know, to the fullest required for someone to take it as a how-to. But I do know, being a contributor and a participant in auctions, that I touch many people at these auctions. Uh, before you know my event makes it on stage um, to, for um, for bidding and so just uh, you know I mean it requires uh, certainly a an embedded group of potential donors and it requires a venue it requires uh, lots of logistics, food, like the, the Sun Valley Wine Auction and the Napa Valley Wine Auction, which I've attended both for many years, runs many days. You know, so if there are events that, that, that go four days and uh, starting with, um, you know, party after party, after social event, after concert, uh, until the seminal, like, event which is, you know, several hours of, of the auction. And so there's a tremendous amount of money invested in creating this experience for people that essentially uh, entertains them out of uh, the money in their wallets. So, so is an auction a different event than the Vintner's Dinner? It is. The Vintner's Dinner is an auction lot. So it is something that is auctioned at, uh, it is, it is, it is, auctioned at an, uh, an auction. The Vintner's Dinner is something that I'm very familiar with creating and organizing and put, pulling together. And, you know, I, I um, am a big part of making that happen. You know, I ask for uh, contributing participants, like whether it be a chef or a hotel or a restaurant. But, you know, I know everything about making it happen. So we could do a Vintner's Dinner here in Lynchburg without doing the auction. We could, if we knew the right people to invite to the event. That's correct. That's correct. We've got a venue. We've got a chef. We've got a Rolodex of the people who ought to be there. Now it's just finding the right time of year that'll, that'll gather the right kind of people, attract the right kind of people, and then get on your calendar. Is that right? That's exactly right. Wow. And, and, and the quid pro quo is that you know I come and do this, and that the people are teed up to um, not only enjoy the wine, but are interested in a future relationship with me as well in uh, purchasing wine, becoming members of our wine club. And it's mutually beneficial for the charity, as you'll explain when somebody's interested. So they can go to Halleck Vineyards, H-A-L-L, Vineyard, singular, Halleck, H-A-L-L-E-C-K, vineyardsingular.com, is there a way they can contact you on the website? Yes, there's a, there's an email address. You can also just email me at ross at halleckvineyard.com. All right. Um, Russell, he said he didn't know if he could talk for an hour. Here we are at 55 and counting. 
So Ross, we're gonna, I'm gonna do a sponsor message right now and then give you the last shot. What parting thought or tip or challenge do you wanna leave in the minds of clergy nonprofit executive directors um, or membership directors for chambers? These are the people that listen to this, trying to up their game. And then Russell closes out the interview with his message. Our sponsor is Word Sprint. Word Sprint is the company that takes your brand and make sure your tribe knows your brand, but it's at the top of their mind. Nonprofit Performance Magazine is printed and mailed by WordSprint, and we stay in touch with our tribe. So it's 30% who you send it to, 30% your message, and 30% your rhythm. So Bill Gilmer and his team at WordSprint will help you figure out how to keep your donors donating and how to raise the bar on those donations. And if you do events, raise your attendance level. It's about making sure people know about the good work you're doing. Wordsprint.com, W-O-R-D-S-P-R-I-N-T.com. So Ross, as we finish up this really energized interview, what thought do you want to leave people with before Russ takes it off? Well, I think that, um, uh, I think the, the, the word of the day is engagement. And, uh, you know, I uh, am invested in engaging in our community and I uh, encourage all of us in the profit and nonprofit world to be fully engaged in our communities uh, and uh, to choose whatever path that, that um, is open for you for that engagement. And in my case, it's been creating experiences with people. And that has um, opened up lots and lots of doors and one could never have guessed that it would have uh, created as much um, uh, impact as it has. But I, uh, I think that uh, it all started from uh, an intention for engagement. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ross, and I'd like to thank Bill Gimmer, our sponsor, and thank all of you who are out there making a difference every day who came in here to view. And it's about setting intention and finding the right partners, and that brand is what draws that attention to you. And so many things are possible when you have the right partners and you get engaged and you collaborate with the right people because it's a group effort to continue to make the kind of difference that you all are making every day. We are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Nonprofit Exchange. We'd like for you to come and join us again. Go to centervisionleadership.org where you'll find the Centervision community. There's a blue button in the top where you can join and engage with us through our blogs, through these podcasts, through webinars, and all sorts of other ways that you can connect with us. We'll be looking for you again here next Tuesday on the Nonprofit Exchange. Until then, thank you for all that you do and keep making a difference in the lives of others. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.